Sometimes people have moved on and left you in the dust and you don't even know. It is clear that that is the case with these two. That's why the glow up is so real. They have moved on. They have evolved. The conversation for them, this is like, this is some last minute business. We're going to get out there. We're going to get this done. We're going to continue going to our therapist. And we've got other things. We've got a mission. And what I would say is when you've moved on from a toxic situation and you're thriving and you still live rent-free in those other people's minds, they don't live rent-free in yours. For regular listeners of Michelle is Money Hungry, you may know that I focus on social equity, policy, and access in most of my content. So why am I even recording an episode about Harry and Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex? Well, this episode falls under my splash of pop culture content that I like to share from time to time. I decided to wait before recording this episode because I needed more time to get my thoughts together about why they are attracting so much hate and interest. As an online content creator, though, I'm fascinated by the fact that they are well on their way to creating what is clearly going to be a billion dollar brand. I've actually tweeted this observation every once in a while for the past couple of years at this point, but their story has evolved in a way that has been a little unexpected for me, especially during COVID. In this podcast episode, I'm going to talk about Harry and Meghan building a billion dollar brand, universal experiences that they are having that are resonating with people all around the world. Some additional thoughts about race. Remember, I am not a DEI professional a little bit about class and how the U.S. and Britain are so freaking different. Welcome to Michelle's Money Hungry. I'm your host, Michelle Jackson, and I focus on holding financial conversations that lean into social equity, policy, and access with a splash of pop culture. My goal is to lead these conversations with empathy and help both my listeners and myself learn more about money. If you haven't purchased your physical copy of Prince Harry's book Spare or listened to it on Audible, don't forget to grab it today. It looks like Spare is currently free with a new Audible subscription. So if you're thinking about getting audiobooks, now is the time. I've included a link in the show notes. So if you're thinking about getting an audiobook subscription, now is definitely the time. Please note I am an Amazon affiliate. I'm an avid reader of historical romance, a huge fan of the authorian legend and the occasional researcher of past British royal families, like, or rather the same one, but in the past. There are certain stories about Britain and the British royal family, both fictional and non-fictional, that have captured my interest in between, you know, life in America. <laughs> Despite that, I am not a royalist at all because, hey, I am American. Despite that interest, I've never watched The Crown or any of the recent shows about the British royal family. I'm busy. I've got other things to do. Also, I prefer sci-fi. That said, the universal lived experiences that Harry and Meghan are living are really resonating with people across the world. And it's so weird to me that there isn't more content dedicated to those lived 
experiences. And it's very weird to me that the British tabloid press clearly just aren't even thinking in this way and are in fact amplifying the narratives that I'm about to share to a degree that it's like, are they this oblivious? So if you're not sure what I mean by universal experiences, I'm going to share them. And there could be a few that I'm missing, but I think I covered it. The favored child. In this case, it's very clear that William being the oldest and in direct line of succession has been the favored child. It's not rocket science. If you've watched anything that touches on line of succession, again, this shouldn't surprise you. In regular families across the world, though, there is often a favored child even when the parents insist that they don't have a favorite. This unintentional or intentional favoritism causes a lot of conflict within a lot of families and the siblings' relationship, as we've seen over the years with Harry and William. And it's clear that in re-watching footage of them, it's clear they're not close. They haven't been close for a very long time. And it's a sad thing to, to think about. But if I were being groomed to be king and then I have this like brother who can do whatever he wants, maybe I'm going to resent him. And that's an honest observation. And we also have our own character flaws both of them. There's the premature death of a parent. This is a heartbreaking experience for any child who adores their parents. Sadly, Harry and William had to deal with this experience in front of the world. I don't want to belabor this point, but I do remember going to Princess Diana's memorial in Paris because I lived in Paris kind of directly after that happened. And so I know where the tunnel was where she passed, where she was murdered, in my view, because they were chasing them. And I just remember his mom because I was young, but I was old enough to remember Diana and the the premature death of a very young parent. Like she was young and it was a hard thing to see. Being disowned. It is wild to me to think that Harry was literally disowned by his father right when the pandemic happened. It's something that I, I won't ever forget as, as it relates to their story. And when putting this episode together, I thought about how many kids have been disowned by their family for something that seems completely benign to someone else's family, such as setting boundaries, protecting your spouse. And even if he won't say it because it's hurtful to him, saying no to racism against said spouse. Hating your in-laws. You do not always like your relative spouses. You do not always like your, your sibling spouses. This is a universal thing. We do not always like our in-laws. Your brother could marry a woman or man or person that you loathe. Your mother could do the same. Your cousin, maybe you're close to your cousins. We don't always like the people that we become connected to because of love. We don't always like the families that we marry into and vice versa. That's a universal experience. Estrangements within a family. Sometimes your family members are freaking toxic. I love that in this time period that we are having a lot more dialogue around saying no to toxicity and saying, yes, it's okay to set boundaries around toxic people in your family. You don't have to deal with people who cause you pain. 
And I love that Harry, even though it is clearly Harry and Megan, honestly, it's been a painful, painful experience for them dealing with their families being assholes. I'm just going to say it. Their families are assholes. (laughs) I cannot imagine having my dad sell access to me without my consent. Dads, both of their dads did this. It was a painful thing to watch. It was painful to watch a half sibling just try to like tag along and tag on to to her. It just all everything about it was gross. And I think that there are a lot of people who this resonated with. I don't care who the fuck you are. Personally, you don't have the right to sell me out. And I think there are a lot of us who feel this way. And so sometimes things like this cause an estrangement in the family. Sometimes your family isn't right. And this is clearly a situation that this couple is dealing with. Racism. I'm going to talk about this topic more like later in the episode, but it it has been really painful. It, it has to be really painful to fall in love with someone that your family is just never going to accept. And low key, you know, I feel like Harry was hoping for the best because he probably wanted his family to prove him wrong. And unfortunately, they are who they are. They are who they are. He knew who they were. And I know a lot of people are all on him about this, but I do think in my observations of people, sometimes we just hope for the best and we're still disappointed. And this is clearly the situation. Depression and the loss of a child. I actually do not want to talk on this topic, but I do want to bring it up. That was something that happened to them. And finally, the dynamics of money and power. There are reality shows, case studies, and more focused content on the dynamics of money and power in families. What I think about often is how the royal family in this case allegedly seems to have been using the purse strings to manipulate the actions of their members. I'm convinced, seriously, that King Charles thought that Harry would come running back running back home after being cut off. I think he really miscalculated how much Harry hated dealing with all the the stuff, the extra stuff that came with being royal, especially as it impacted his wife and his peace of mind. And he just, I, I think this has been building up for years before Meghan ever came onto the scene. And then once you start having a family and babies and lives being put at risk, he was over it. He was done. He was out of there. And what's funny to me, not like haha, but what's funny, like, huh, is that COVID literally kept him from being physically able to travel to Britain because all travel was stopped. He couldn't return even if he had wanted to because the borders were closed. Wild. What I think often about is how much the British media, like the the mainstream media, not the tabloid press, just seems to be missing why Harry and Meghan's situation is resonating with so many people when really it shouldn't. Like I should not in any way, shape or form feel any kind of connection to Harry as a prince. Like nothing about his situation should resonate with me, to be honest. He's part of the royal family, the British royal family. 
Megan, she had a pretty solid career as an actress. She's super beautiful. She's focused on social good. None of, none of this should resonate with me, uh, except for the, you know, I'm beautiful and social good. <laughs> on the surface, they have it all, money, good looks, and, and access to some sort of power. But these universal experiences the rest of us are observing are hitting us right now where it should in our own lived experiences. And quite frankly, even though Harry's going to mess it up because he's human, so is Megan, despite their mistakes, because they're human, overwhelmingly, the universal experiences that they're having so resonate with people that we're going to give them a pass for a while. Despite people saying there's backlash or blah, blah, blah. I will tell you as an American, we don't really care about the royal family. We think that the royal family did this couple dirty. The only people who are really into the British royal family like hardcore and are focused on the narrative that they're in the wrong, that Harry and Meghan are in the wrong, are MAGA, really, and old people. And I'm just going to tell you this as a person who tweets about it occasionally and what have you. If you're British and you're listening to this episode, we want to stick it to the man. <laughs> and we love that Harry did that. Literally, we really do. But there's another part of this, which is an uncomfortable conversation about race. Sometimes I wonder if people realize that there are common Black experiences versus universal experiences that everyone has had. I feel like that's a really important distinction. And I've thought about this distinction a lot when reading through tweets about what other people other black people felt Megan should have experienced as a, a black woman. I felt like there was a lot of nuance missing in those conversations. And I say this as an African-American who grew up in Colorado and was born in California. I was, I didn't grow up in California. I grew up in Colorado. I'm very much a Western African-American. And I say this to say that I am often struck by how different my lived experience is compared to my friend's and family who are in the Midwest and the West, and then of course, across the, the diaspora. And I don't think we have those kinds of conversations often enough in general. I want to share a couple of brief stories about race in my family without like spilling our business, but I do want to share some things that might surprise you. My mom is what many people would consider light-skinned. In fact, about once a month, someone will make a, a comment to my mom that reconfirms that people perceive her in a way that would be very different than me, a very obviously black woman. The last time someone said something to my mom, it was an African friend who is really literally from Africa. So she's this person's African who happens to live in the United States. And they jokingly said to her that she has to be careful in South Africa because she was at risk for being kidnapped because people might consider her white or white adjacent. They didn't say white adjacent. I said that. Now, if you've ever followed any of Trevor Noah's content, he comments on how in some ways he's perceived as white or white-ish, if you will, or at least not really black in South Africa. And I always thought it was weird until my mom shared the story to me because I'm like, like, to me, he looks black, like it looks like relatives, like whatever. But how people see you is a different thing. My mom also gets spoken to often in Spanish. 
that has also come up in a past couple of months where people were like, oh, no, no, no. People from South American countries in particular, they're like, no, we think you're from, I think it was like Paraguay or whatever. I share this to say that I have some thoughts about people's reactions to Megan and how they're perceiving comments she's made about race and her experience with it. One, it's clear that people don't want to hear what you have to say. Like people do not want to hear people's lived reality if it is different than what they think it should be. And this is why people don't share their truth. We may not like her truth, but I feel like there's room to listen to it and have some thoughts around it without attacking her, which I really felt people did automatically. Like I just felt there was a lot of mean girl energy specific to Megan when she was, this has been my experience. And before I say anything further, anything in this episode, I would ask the couple directly. I would speak to them about directly. I am not speaking out of turn. Any opinions I'm sharing, I'd be like, look, Harry, your family did you dirty. Like anything I'm saying, I would say directly to them. This is this is not something that if they reached out to me, which I hope they would, and they were like, Michelle, we would love to be on your show. Please, would you be on my show? I wouldn't not share this episode with them or my tweets or what, whatever. Like, I'd be like, this is my opinion. This is where I'm at. You may feel some sort of way about it, but this is where I'm at. Like, I would not hide this. So I want to be clear before I go further into this conversation. I used to say that Megan felt the most black that she's ever felt in her life. Once the British tabloid press started reporting on her, I used to say this, I was like, they have definitely impacted how she perceives herself. Not in a good or, good or bad way, but just I 100% knew that her lived experience wasn't, even though to me, she's very obviously black because I just, as a person of color, like it's very obvious to me, but it's also obvious to me how people wouldn't immediately perceive her to be half black, right? It just never surprised me that Megan had a deeply different lived experience from me as a very obviously black woman. Based on what I know about Hollywood and Los Angeles specifically, and how those spaces are in terms of colorism, it is very, if you are in Los Angeles and you are pretending like this woman didn't fly under the radar in many occasions and in, in, in spaces, you're, you're lying. You're being, you're totally lying <laughs> uh, about what, what Los Angeles is like. Is there a collective amnesia around the following mixed race women and men who've made their careers in Hollywood as being kind of ambiguous, you know, in terms of who they are and how they present until we've remembered one of their parents is black. Here's a very incomplete list. Jennifer Beale, Mariah Carey, Maya Rudolph. Zoe Kravitz, who I feel is still canceled. And I don't want to get in the nuances of like her parents are half black, whatever. Like it still adds up. Okay. Rashida Jones, Slash of Guns and Roses, Halsey, which still surprises a lot of people, but you can look at her parents and Nicole Richie to name a few. And I feel like Wentworth Miller. I would also encourage people to follow Eartha Kitt's daughter, Kit Shapiro on TikTok for her very thoughtful comments about her lived experience as very, she is white presenting, period, end of story, and being the daughter of Eartha Kitt. I feel like you guys just 
I don't know, like are pretending like none of those people exist or something and your reactions to them aren't what they are. I would love to ask Megan directly the following questions, especially because I grew up in white spaces. I've observed things. I've paid attention. I want to ask her the following questions. Do you think you had a subconsciously negative perception of blackness or a slight anti-black bias that you weren't even aware of until all of this happened? While I do actually think Megan has black friends, I do think she has likely not been as intentional as say I have been about finding and connecting and sustaining black relationships because I also live, I, because I feel like I live in a whiter city than she does. Denver is in my view, a much whiter city. If I lived in Aurora, which is a city next to mine, it would be a different thing, but I live in Denver. And in my case, I have always been very intentional about being in spaces that nurture, foster, and connect me with other African-Americans with similar interests to balance things out. I don't know that she's done the same. My sense is that she's lived a very quiet life. Like she has a small family in some respects. She was close to her dad. And I, and I think she lived the life that she lived, right? LA on the surface is very diverse. So you do know people from all walks of life. And it's clear that that's the case. I also think that if I'm an African-American friend of hers, I'm keeping it low key because Harry and Meghan are dealing with a very real white nationalist threat to their lives. And if I'm an African-American friend who isn't Tyler Perry with a security detail, I'm going to be like, look, I'll babysit the kids. I'll hang out. Let's have, you know, happy hour. I've got your back in all kinds of ways, but I cannot risk me and mine because of this situation. I'm going to keep things low key. Quite frankly, if I'm dating Jason Malmoa, that would be the same thing. I'm going to keep things low key. Not everyone needs to know my business. I digress. Another question I would ask is, have you ever had conversations about blackness with your black friends and your ability to move around in spaces and navigate white spaces without initially being perceived as black or black adjacent, depending on what people think you are when they look at you? That's a question I want to ask her that no one has asked her. And I'm sure the answer is yes. And what were some of the tensions that came up because of that? What are some of the conversations you plan on having, if any, moving forward with yourself, friends, family, or on archetypes about race? Again, Harry and Megan are not DEI professionals. They are, they are not trained in this. I am not a DEI professional. I am not trained in this. This is not my expertise. I'm a human being just muddling through this thing we call life, as are they. I imagine... Megan, that this has been a painful experience for you in so many ways. And what is it that you would like for us to know about you that people are getting wrong? No one's asked her that. Similar to that moment when she was like, no one asked if I was okay. That hurt me when she, she was like, um, to some random television reporter, thank you for asking me if I'm okay. Pregnant, not doing good, depressed, being treated like shit all the time rumors about her and she's a human being. You can say all you want. She's a human being. And I think that's the other universal experience is she was being dumped on 
as black woman in a white space. I didn't share that. I think as a black woman watching her being mistreated like that, that hurt me regardless of how she presents and how she regardless that hurt me. It still bothers me because I've been dumped on and that really connected with me. Ultimately, she's going to piss off someone with whatever answer she gives. I piss people off with the answers I give. And I also want to share that in a past life, I was a sister in a national white sorority. I was. My specific chapter, surprisingly, was incredibly diverse with a number of black, brown, and Asian members, as well as white members, as you would expect. It was honestly a great experience. This is despite the fact that I was a founding member of the Black Students Union at my high school, participated in a Black Trivia Bowl, and we won, by the way, and was a debutante via a, a national Black sorority. So I was, I was presented to Black society here in Denver via a national Black uh, sorority. And I've had wonderful experiences as a Black person in those spaces. But I said yes to being a member in a white sorority, like national white sorority. You know, because people were like, oh my God, I think she was Kappa Kappa Gamma or whatever, or Kappa Delta. My point is people have these different experiences at certain points in their lives. It doesn't necessarily define their entire life. It's just that moment. However, me being in that sorority, you know, in all candidness doesn't erase the fact that I'm a hundred percent sure, a hundred percent sure that there are chapters of that sorority across the U.S. that are probably, most likely, and obviously highly problematic. And I do want to make it clear that I was in a different sorority than the one Megan was in. I share all of this to say people are complicated. Their lived experiences are complicated. Their choices are complicated. And I do think in my observations of her, that she would be open to having this conversation and quite honestly is a lot more self-reflective than most people. And I base this on just observing her in general and listening to her Archetypes podcast and watching the content that they've shared because they're all very thoughtful and reflective. As for Harry, I feel like his participation in active military duty specifically changed his lived experience and how he thought about race. I am convinced there were guys who were like, bro, what the fuck were you thinking about wearing that Nazi uniform? Is that how you are? We can't have your back if this is how you are. You need to have us respect you when we're out there in the line of fire. And if you don't care or value our lives, that's going to make it hard for us to protect you. I am sure that he's never shared the hard conversations that he had with other enlisted soldiers in the barracks. And I can't forget that interview where they were under fire and he ripped that mic off and ran to be a part of his battalion. I don't know military speak. I feel like the Harry that we're seeing now and experiencing now is the result of years of self-work, years of very uncomfortable conversations, years of just a lot of just self-reflection and unhappiness and wanting to be happy. That's why the glow up is so obvious, right? But here's the thing. He's not going to get it all right. He's just not. I don't get it right. 
He's going to make some mistakes in having this conversation on race and power, but he's clearly very open to having it. And I suspect has had these conversations more often than Megan. That's my read on him. I know that a lot of people want him to be like, yeah, my family's fucking racist and they were the colonizers. I don't know that anyone is ready to have that conversation with their relatives, especially if they're trying to manage actively an estrangement in the public eye, which is what's going on. I know you guys want him to to be like, they're fucking racist. (laughs) Like, I know you do, but it's just, it's not going to happen. And um, I know that people were frustrated when he was like, you know, I, I still believe in the monarchy and blah, blah, blah. I feel like his family is a thousand years in. Am I right in thinking this? And so I think that there are just some parts of of his belief system that we're not going to like. It's just, that's just the case. I'm American. I'm never going to like like this concept of royalty. Not a fan. It could all go away. We're good. I would love the British monarchy to kind of be like random figureheads, kind of similar to what's happened across the the uh, continent where they don't mean anything and then uh you know the the all the money that is being generated by them actually helps the people like is it is the tourism money helping people in britain like they've got real things going on i digress i don't think that either of them would say that they're leading dei based work by the way which a lot of people are trying to like make that assumption versus sharing their lived truths and having a mission of social impact, which is kind of what I do. I have a social impact mission. I am not DEI certified. I'm not qualified for that. That is not my thing. I actually um, have made a point in spaces where people are like, oh, like Michelle, maybe you should do. I'm like, I'm not, that's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm not trained for that. Please, please do not put that, that uh, responsibility on me. I won't take it. It must also really suck having to navigate the reality that your family is just never going to change, i.e. both sides of their families, honestly, and have to navigate that on the global stage, especially as you're working through some significant self-work and self-realization. Again, I think out of the two of them, Harry's done more of the self-work around this topic. It, it is just really obvious to me. Despite all of that, I really like those two. I feel like they're evolving and in, in, in a, a process of growth that hopefully we're all in, like we're all in that process of growth throughout our lives. And I would love to, I would love to just be at happy hour and have a talk with them. Like not even a talk, like just have a conversation with them leading with, how are you doing? This sucks, but I'm super excited about the next thing, which are, I'm going to share some money lessons learned from this whole thing. And they're important for everyone. Whoever has the money has the control. Being financially cut off from his family forced Harry to reevaluate everything and make his own way financially. He could have said yes to whatever private demands the firm was asking of him. He very clearly said no. And COVID also forced his hand. I wonder what would have happened if we, it never happened and he could fly back and forth and he could have heard you know, what they were saying, was cajoled into changing his mind. And this time it was like, no, you can't even fly over here because there is no flight. 
It's 100% okay to earn money while controlling your personal narrative. I love the fact that they worked their asses off for the past four years and have successfully released or hosted the Invictus Games, Spare, The Bench, Harry and Meghan, the Netflix series, Live to Lead. After years of people making money off of disparaging them, it's super refreshing to see this couple making money off of their own names and building their own personal brand under Archwell. It's also not lost on me that a lot of the negative feedback is from people who have monetized online brands that are making money off of ad revenue affiliates. Like a lot of you guys chit chattering about, well, they shouldn't do this. I'm like, you're an online content creator. You're a hypocrite. If anyone in the online content space is like, no, they shouldn't be doing this. You're all hypocrites. You're full of shit. People who have made money off of their backs via ad revenue in particular and affiliate marketing and just associating their content, their hate-driven content, quite honestly, by using Megan and Harry and their content, um, you're full of shit. I want those two to make all the money. I want all the, all the linked redirects. I want them to get that cash, okay? I've created content online for years, and the business behind the hate and the bots is so freaking obvious to watch and to see. It's like very obvious business model, right? especially on YouTube. They have the right to control their narrative and I love it all. I love it for them. I love it. They have expenses. They have a very real security threat where they could be killed. They have kids and they have to pay for that. They need money to manage their reality. For several years now, I've said that they are on their way to building a billion dollar brand focused on what I perceive to be their mission, which is doing good and global citizenry. Trying to get that out trying to get that out. Global citizenry. <laughs> Similar to what is my personal mission, whereas mine is more American citizenry. And I love it all for them. I love it. Get your money. Get your money. Get your money. If the Kardashians can do what they do, at the end of the day, you have to pay your expenses. They have to do what they have to do. Finally, I want to share some thoughts about the United States versus the United Kingdom in terms of perceiving this story and reacting to it. For a while now, I've really noticed a stark difference in how people from the United States and Britain talked about and reacted to Harriet and Meghan. The difference is so significant that I thought I would use my closing comments to reflect on this difference. So I'm not sure what Americans will say. And this, again, these are opinions based on observations. Americans will say he, Harry, just wanted to be free to do what he wanted to do. We don't understand what the big deal is about Megan being an actress. That one's really weird to us. Okay, it's work. And we like work. Who cares that she's acting? She got paid. Anyway, Harry has a right to say what he wants to say. Again, kind of tying back to this perception of freedom of expression. British commenters that I've observed will say Megan should have stayed in her place. This comment that I've seen more than once is actually a very deeply offensive thing to say in U.S. culture, especially in relation to a person of color. Very, very offensive in general. But when you are tacking it to the behavior of a black woman or a biracial person, it's very, very, very 
problematic. Harry is oversharing, which now that we know about his Todger, I'm not saying you're not necessarily wrong, but um, <laughs> that's something I've seen. He's being disrespectful to the family. And here's some thoughts. About a week or so ago, I was able to listen to a, to be a part of a Twitter space hosted by a woman named Ava Vidal. I don't know if that's her name name or if that's her stage name. She's a comedian who also happens to be black and British. I was a listener because I couldn't raise my hand to get on stage because Twitter keeps changing buttons, but we're not going to get into that. That space was also co-hosted by African-American from California. It was a wonderful, wonderful Twitter space because we were having a much more nuanced and thoughtful conversation around how the Black diaspora people across the world were reacting to this story. And I left that space. Normally, I would never stay on a space longer than an hour because I, I got things to do. But this one was interesting. It was at the end of the week, basically. And I was on there for two or three hours just listening to what people had to share. And I left thinking about the following. It is very clear that people across the diaspora have a lot to learn about each other and our unique lived experiences across the world. We must continue to have those uncomfortable conversations. Our host was actually really surprised by how little African-Americans knew about Black leaders who were on the front lines of the fight for equality in Britain. I wasn't going to share this other thing, but I think it's important. I've spent time in the UK and it hasn't been positive uh, the times I've been there. And in having conversations with Black Brits who have been lovely, like that part's been good. It is clear that there sometimes is a, a serious discomfort talking about topics around race in the way that American Americans are very like in your face. And we're like, fuck this. We're saying it. We, we've got things on our mind. And I feel like culturally, it's just a different approach. And I had some bad experiences there enough where I'm like, I'm not excited about the UK in the way that a lot of people are. It doesn't mean that I won't visit again. It just means that I side-eye the country because I've had negative experiences. I sound like I'm from California or, or how they perceive it to be. I got mocked while I was there. And so I know that that's likely to be a thing that would happen again. Uh, so yeah, the UK. I think that there are some misconceptions that people across the diaspora in particular have about African-Americans that often play out in our interactions on social media and in unexpected ways that these communities come into contact, in particular, once people move here. And I feel like that's a whole different podcast episode, so we won't go deeper into that. I'm left with the following questions that I would like to leave with you, dear listeners. How would this story and our perception of how Harry and Meghan have been treated and these like universal tropes that we connect on impact our perception of the UK? I'm curious about tourism numbers by certain groups of people. I've traveled quite extensively. And again, as I've just said, my worst experiences were in the UK and how they're being treated kind of reinforces my perception of that country in a negative way. What will be the future response from Commonwealth countries? Is the monarchy still relevant to them? It is not lost on me that people are like, damn, 
you can't even pretend to like your daughter-in-law enough to like treat her well, like in public. They are paying attention to the photos where people in the family look grossed out to touch black people. We are paying attention to the weird, obvious photo ops. We've got receipts. It's not like it's hard to figure out in 2022 and 2023 and beyond. We have, you, there's a digital footprint that we're referencing. It's hard to deny what we've seen. And I'm wondering how the behavior that we keep seeing is going to impact how the Commonwealth, how countries across the Commonwealth view continuing to have a King Charles of their country. It's my personal opinion that Harry shared all the tea because it's very difficult to spill the details on a person when they shared it all. I think he was like, you know what? I'm going to share all the shit because I'm tired of you guys leaking bullshit about me and I'm going to just share it all. And then we're done. We're done. I think it was a very, very clear calculation to keep these people off his back. And he's like, I shared everything. My todger, cream, frostbite. Megan's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. He shared it all. There's nothing left to share. He's good. He's living his life. Oh, and by the way, for you weirdos who are like, oh my God, he's risking his visa. I worked with people on visas for 10 years. He's fine. <laughs> and uh, also he's not on a green card, you goofballs. Like not everyone comes to America and has a green card. He's likely on a, um, there's a visa for individuals of extraordinary um, character. or It's like something like this, like actors and princes and uh sports folks like they, there's a very specific visa that i think he's on if there's one thing americans like it's a winner a winner making money and so as long as he's making money and quietly riding his bike in la and doing los angeles things no one gives a shit about the fact that he smoked cannabis or did coke when he was 20 like no one cares and yeah, <laughs> like like we care that he's making money and bringing in, bringing in income and employing people. We're excited about that. Yeah, you guys are goofballs and have no idea. <laughs> I, I laugh when I see that online. And then finally, it's very likely that the Sussexes will have their titles taken away, which I think they're completely fine with. They're just like, fuck it, take it. They offered for the royal family to take, they were like, why don't you just remove our titles? I think that the backlash on that is going to be really bad. I think, again, back to the universal experiences that people are having watching this story unfold, King Charles would, it, it would be better for him to just be like, whatever, just let them, just let it go. It will make him look petty and spiteful. And if for some reason, William ends up doing it, same thing. Sometimes you just have to let a thing go and move on. I think if the family decides to, to take away their titles, it just looks so bad because already the situation looks so bad and we can't unsee it. There is a significant segment of the UK public that seems to think that Harry wants a way to come back home. 
they are so off the mark. It's weird to me. I'm like, don't you work for people? If if you work for people and then you were free from aggressive paparazzi, had your own schedule, could walk barefoot on the beach and ride your bike while recording videos and exploring your, your own interests while being on track to be a billionaire and got to do what you wanted and didn't have to be told what to do and where to be and how to look and what to wear. Wouldn't you prefer to like freedom? <laughs> you people are unserious if you think he's ever coming. He does not want that. He has freedom. Like I said, this is a money podcast, first and foremost. The man is about to be a billionaire and has infinite freedom. He is never going back. He's never going to do the, what is it, the trooping of the guard? I don't even know any of the lingo. I don't even care. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't want to wake up on time for that bullshit. He is over it. He loved his grandma. He tried it for her. He's done. He's moved on. And this is the last thought, actually. Sometimes people have moved on and left you in the dust and you don't even know. It is clear that that is the case with these two. That's why the glow up is so real. They have moved on. They have evolved. The conversation for them, this is like, this is some last minute business. We're going to get out there. We're going to get this done. We're going to continue going to our therapist. And we've got other things. We've got a mission. And what I would say is when you've moved on from a toxic situation and you're thriving and you still live rent free in those other people's minds, they don't live rent free in yours. That's just something to think about. So I hope you enjoyed this pop culture conversation, this pop culture episode. I had a lot of fun kind of putting it together. It took me a while to really think about all the things. I would love your feedback. Again, we're all muddling through. I would love to talk to Megan and Harry. By the way, Megan and Harry, if you invite me to be a guest on your show, I will occasionally drop an, you know, an F-bomb. So do be prepared to <laughs> like beep that out. Thank you guys so much for listening to the episode. And don't forget to grab your copy of Spare. Again, it is free on Audible with your new subscription. I am Amazon affiliate. 